This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. I don't know all that you did over the course of uh, the ice storm, ice apocalypse, as it affectionately was called at our house. Uh, but, you know, if you're anything like me and my family, we ate a lot of food, right? Put on a couple pounds that we'll regret later at the first of the year, and we'll get mad at Ice Apocalypse all over again. And we watched a lot of Christmas movies. We got caught up on our favorite Christmas movies. You know, this time of year, everybody's got their favorite, and you even talk about, like, what's the best Christmas movie and uh, the best one that's out and all that kind of stuff. But one of the Historic ones uh, for me personally and for our family is uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas episode, right? Can we give it up for Charlie Brown? All right, yes, it's good. It's good. Second, you know, second only to It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. It's also a classic at our house. Um, Love Charlie Brown. It just seems like I can just relate to him. Relate to kind of how he enters the holiday season. He's always depressed and he's always kind of looking at himself and comparing himself to others. And he's the director of the Christmas play and he can never get it right. And if you remember the way the, the cartoon starts, it's he and Linus and they're, they're talking about life. They often uh, talk philosophy together, Charlie Brown and Linus together. And Charlie's talking about his challenges with entering into the new year. He doesn't have the Christmas spirit and he's just depressed again. And Linus says uh, to him, he says, Charlie Brown, you're the only one I know who can take a perfectly good holiday like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, I wonder if you can finish this. You're the Charlie. There we go. A couple couple of you know that. You're the Charlie Browniest. That's right. So it's pretty Pretty funny. And then he goes throughout the entire episode. He buys the wrong tree. He's a terrible director. He doesn't get Christmas. He's so upset. And then at the end of the show, uh, Linus is more helpful than he was at the beginning of the show when Charlie Brown throws his hands up in the air and he says, can somebody out there please tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus takes the moment. He says, sure, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you what Christmas is all about. And he gets on a stage like this and they dim the lights And he reads from the passage that we're going to look at together today in Luke chapter 2. So if you're new to the Bible, you go to Matthew, and then you go to Mark, and you go to Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to expound a little bit and teach a little bit on Linus's text from the time that he told Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about. And for the first time in the episode, Charlie Brown hears good news. News And what he hears is, Charlie Brown, Christmas is not about you. It's not about how you're sized up to other people. It's not about this Christmas play. It's not about your, your tree. It's not about your successes, Charlie Brown. And it's not about your failures. In fact, Christmas is not about who you are. It's about who God is. And this is the good news that he hears from Linus. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Go a little bit farther than Linus went and get some commentary on this in verses 8 through 20. Let's read this together, and then I'll pray and we'll get going. Verse 8, 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, help us, like Mary, to treasure up all these things. Help us, Lord, this morning to ponder these things in our hearts. Lord, help us to connect the dots between your glory and your grace and right where we are and how your grace intersects our lives and intersects our story, just like the shepherds here today. We ask for your grace for this, Lord. As we look into your word, we ask that you would catch us up into this glorious story in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Christmas is not about who you are, who I am, who we are. It's primarily about who God is and who he is for us. And the the chapters of the story go like this. In verses 8 through 14, we see an interruption, an interruption in the story. In verses 15 through 19, we see a decision made by the shepherds and and by Mary and others. And in verse 20, the story concludes with a return. So interruption, decision, and return. And let's first take interruption starting in verse 8. Notice that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Now, nobody wants to be a shepherd in the Christmas play. That's like nobody wants to be a shepherd or an angel. Like everybody wants to be the Magi or, you know, Mary or Joseph or maybe in some awkward cases, little baby Jesus. Um, But... What we're going to see today is that the shepherds play a crucial role in this story. And the angels, after today, will be the, the costume that you want at Halloween. The scariest costume at Halloween uh, isn't something uh, dark. It's actually something quite bright in the Bible. And that would be an angel, the scariest creatures in the Bible. Well, notice that the shepherds are out in the field, and that's what shepherds do. The text doesn't say anything about them leaning in or super devout or very religious or anything like that. It says that they were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. They were doing what shepherds do, probably taking turns. Maybe some are sleeping and one's watching the sheep. And the significance of the fact that there are shepherds uh, right in the middle of the story in in Luke is uh, that the shepherds at this time are a despised class of people. 
Some people liked shepherds. I mean, Abraham was a shepherd. Other people in the Bible are shepherds. But they were not thought to be uh, high society kind of people. They were thought to be kind of country bumpkin folks. Their name literally means to make one's work out of doors. And so they had a kind of a bad reputation. Uh, The nature of their work, which was dealing with a lot of sheep and a lot of dirt and a lot of manure and a lot of smelly things, uh, because that was their life, they were kept from the synagogue and they couldn't obey certain ceremonial rules of the day. And so for the most religious people of the day, they wanted nothing to do with shepherds. They were kind of cast out from the, from the most prestigious places. And they had kind of a bad reputation of stealing other people's sheep. Like, you know, those shepherds over there, they forget <clears throat> kind of how many sheep they have and who's my sheep and what their sheep are. And so they just kind of had a, a, a reputation of being thieves as well. So these shepherds are, are not... Uh, they're not the kings, they're not the magi, they're not the stargazers out there. They're just common people out doing what they do. This is a typical Tuesday, and they're minding their business, and they're minding their sheep. The text says they're keeping watch over their flock by night. Not necessarily super devout or religious. And all of a sudden, on this glorious Tuesday night, their story is interrupted. They weren't planning for this, didn't have it in their minds, what, wasn't thinking this was ever going to take place. Never thought they'd end up in the Bible. They're just doing their thing. And then there's an interruption in verse 9. Well, notice what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And notice, and they were filled with great fear. If you're reading this for the first time and and you're a skeptic or you're new to the Bible and you're saying, you lost me an angel because I don't quite understand what angels are. Well, angels are powerful creatures in the Bible who serve God. And anytime that they show up in the Old Testament, people just freak out. In some cases, they just think they're going to die automatically. And they are these powerful, these powerful creatures. Demons in the Bible are fallen angels who rebelled with Satan. And uh, whenever they show up in the Bible, they have a measure of power, and people are provoked and and scared of of demons. And and to this day, it's quite a lucrative uh, concept, demons and things like that. All kinds of money is made in Hollywood from that. But nobody ever falls down and dies when they encounter a demon like they do an angel. Well, this is kind of wreck your idea of what angels are if you grew up you know thinking of angels as floating around on clouds these kind of chubby cherubs uh you know doing harps and blowing trumpets and in some cases they're like cupid and they they hit you with their little arrow or something like that or if like me you grew up in the 80s i got all my angel theology from bad 80s tv shows so I would read a passage like this and say, well, what's so scary about Michael Landon in Highway to Heaven? Or Della Reese, bless Della's heart. I just didn't understand what, what provokes this kind of fear in these angels, in these uh, shepherds when they encounter an angel. Because these people are filled with fear. Notice what the text says. And they were filled with a, a great fear, not just a casual fear. They, they, they weren't just... Um, a little bit scared. They were filled up, overflowing with fear. They, they think something tragic is about to happen. They're terrified 
at the sight of this creature of God. And that's what an angel is. It's a creature that God's created for his glory, that serve God, that glorify God, that praise God 24-7 around the throne and, and beam with the glory that comes off of God. And that's why whenever he, they show up in the Bible, people are scared and scared to death. So, you know, when we die, we don't become angels. Angels are a different kind of creature that God, God has created. Well, notice what happens um, here. The angel says, I'm going to back up verse 9. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So what's causing the fear here is not just the presence of an angel, although that's frightening enough. What the text says, what brings the filling up of the fear is that the glory of the Lord shone around them. They are filled up with a brightness and a transcendent glory that they have never experienced in their lives. The middle of the night, they're used to darkness. They're used to working in dark environments. And now they are filled up with brightness and with light. And it's bouncing off of this creature in front of them. Well, what's the big deal with glory? We hear that word a lot and we just wonder what's why would glory provoke such a thing? We say glory all the time, but what is it? Well, a simple definition might be this. Glory is a visual display of an object's intrinsic worth or beauty. So when, when an intrinsically beautiful thing is visually displayed in HD... And you see it and you see it with your mind and with your heart and you, you see that beauty on display. It, it evokes oftentimes any number of emotional responses. So glory sometimes is very hard to define and to describe, but you know it when you've seen it because it's evoked some kind of an emotional response. For instance, for instance, if you've ever experienced in your soul, in your heart, a fascination. Like when you see a, 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 a painting, you know, a historic painting up close for the very first time, and you're just lost in that for a moment, you just get kind of caught up in it, in the beauty of it. You captured the intrinsic worth of that thing, just even for a glancing moment, and it's caused this kind of aha moment with you, a fascination or curiosity, like staring at a newborn baby, maybe your firstborn and staring at that baby's face, and you just can't take your eyes off the baby. Um, I've experienced that. Our, our song just seems to resonate with you. You've just captured a, a little bit of beauty there for a moment, and, and it fascinated you. It made you curious and made you want to experience that more. Or, or, for instance, a celebration. Like when you start cheering, when you see the gold medal performance. And you just, you've just jumped to your feet and you're just hollering and you're shouting. And you want as many people to see what just happened as possible because of the potential and the possibility and the glory of what that athlete just did. Or when you're waiting around for the grand finale on July 4th for the fireworks display and you just can't wait. You're just like, wait until you see the grand finale. Like, that's really awesome, but just wait. This is going to take your breath away. And you might even say that. Wait till you see the grand finale. It's going to take your breath away. Why is it going to take your breath away? Because there's glory on display. Something glorious that you're about to see. And sometimes 
glory can evoke raw fear. Like when you see the glory of the sea displayed in a tsunami. Or when you see the inside of a volcano start to erupt. And what was always there becomes HD visual with all its raw power. That's when we, we've seen a little bit of glory. But no glory compares to what these shepherds are experiencing on a typical Tuesday night. When the glory of the creator God is shining off of a creature of God. And they think they're going to die. <laughs> Literally, they think something terrible is about to take place. And the angel anticipates their thoughts in verse 10. The angel says to them, because the angel has to say this for them to hear anything else. The angel says, fear not. Fear not. That would be a very curious thing to have heard from an angel being filled up with fear in this moment. And the angel goes on, for behold, I bring you good news of great Joy that will be for all the people. The angel says, I'm, this isn't the worst moment of your life. It's the best moment of your life. It's the greatest moment of your life. You think it's the most terrible moment of your life, but fear not. I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to tell you news of great joy for you and for all the people. That's what the angels is saying. I don't know what you're dealing with this holiday season. I don't know if, if you're experiencing a challenge with a relational conflict with somebody that you love, but there's just tension when you're in the room and you're heading into that over the Christmas holidays. I don't know if you're dealing with a financial struggle or burden. I don't know if you're going through a health crisis or a health scare or, or if you're just tired of the mundane stuff of life or there's just some ongoing challenge. I don't know it specifically what it is that you are dealing with as you are here today. But I do know this. I do know this about you because it's the same for me is that you and I need to and want to experience joy in our lives. We need it. We need it. We. We're desperate for it. If we're honest with where we are and where we are before God is that we are desperate for what the angel is announcing. We're desperate for something Santa can't deliver on. And it's joy. It's joy. Joy on the inside. And that's what the angel is announcing. I bring you good news of great joy. And this is so significant because he's announcing Jesus. We all know this. We know this story, right? But he says, I'm announcing Jesus. And what the announcement of Jesus is the announcement of joy. Just think about that. It's not the announcement of misery or doom. The announcement of Jesus is the announcement of joy in your life. That's What Jesus is coming for, one of the things he's coming for is for you and I to experience joy like nothing else can bring in our lives. And he goes on, he says, this joy will be for all the people. So starting with the people of God, and then as we'll see in Luke, and as we've been seeing in Acts, spreading to the ends of the world, to every tribe and to every tongue and to every nation. And it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, 
a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's interesting that when he says unto you, up until this point in the book of Luke, it's all about a family affair, the announcement of Jesus. It's all about, it's kind of been an in-house kind of family situation. But with this announcement going to shepherds, you see that the kingdom of God is spreading beyond just the bloodline of family. In fact, family is being redefined. Over and over again in Luke, family gets redefined by Jesus to mean not just bloodline, but spiritual things that take place inside of us that connect us to God by his Holy Spirit and then connect us to one another to where we're, we're the family of God and the kingdom of God. The whole new understanding and more specific and even in some ways a broader understanding of what it means to be, to be in the family and that the glory and the kingdom of God is spreading to these common people. These very unsophisticated people are now being brought in to the family of God through Jesus and the announcement of Jesus. So this is for you, shepherds. And if you're hearing this for the first time, God is communicating this to you. This news is for you as well. This is for you, for unto you. This day in the city of David, which we see as Bethlehem, a Savior Who is Christ the Lord? Those three words are very important. The announcement of the angel, what they're hearing now, they're not not so terrified, they're not hearing. Now they're hearing an announcement that there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Starting with Savior is pretty significant because that was a very common word for a lot of different kinds of people in the culture of that time. So for somebody to be a savior wasn't very surprising. You heard of doctors being saviors. You heard of philosophers and songwriters being saviors. There are all kinds of saviors walking around. You know, there's all kinds of saviors today. Just turn on the the TV. There's all kinds of a, a guru or somebody that can make your life or change your life or be a savior in some way in your life. Same same idea back then. A savior in Greek culture was either a god who delivered or a human who delivered and saved other humans from danger. So all kinds of people were saviors back then. So he starts, for unto you is born this day a savior for you, a deliverer for you. But then he narrows it a little bit and says, of all the saviors, there's no savior like this savior, because this savior is Christ. Note that word, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus that came from the Christ family or the Christ lineage. Christ if you're new to that word, it means anointed. Best, best word would be special, super special. Very, very uniquely special kind of deliverer. And that's what the angel's saying. For unto you is born a deliverer that is uniquely anointed in a special way that's unlike any of the other deliverers that the Jews had believed in for hundreds of years and, uh, and they've been anticipating the deliverer of all deliverers. And that's what the angel's saying. The, the deliverer of all deliverers is here. He's here. He's on the planet. You don't have to wait hundreds of years like your family members have. He's right here. And moreover, not only is this special deliverer here for you, he narrows it even further. So there'd be no mistaking what's being communicated here We're talking about the sovereign God of all when he says, Lord. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Deliverer, who is uniquely special as the Christ. And he is the Lord, the sovereign God of all. So this is an announcement that God is in a city built by men. The sovereign God over all cities is right now in a city. You can go to this city and see God. That's what the angel is announcing. Which begs the question, what does God look like? If we go into Bethlehem, that's a strange city for God to show up in, but we go there, the city of David, what's God going to look like? Note verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Man, that's curious. That's odd. That's shocking. We're looking for the deliverer, the anointed king of kings, God himself. And it said, the angel says, God himself is a baby. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a baby. Whoa. Okay. A baby. Surely the baby will be wrapped in royalty. No. A baby wrapped in swaddling common clothes. The, the poorest of clothes. God, as a baby, wrapped in poor clothing and lying in a manger. A manger. That's, we all have heard the stories. That's a barn. A barn. You're going to find God in a barn. Moreover, in a trough, a feeding trough among the animals. The angel is announcing, you're going to find God among the animals. That's where you're going to find him. Among the dirt, among the smell and the stench. Angels announcing manure environment where God is going to dwell. That's where he is. He's in a barn, a feeding trough. He didn't announce the king of kings written on an easel outside of Buckingham Palace. He says, don't go to Buckingham Palace and like with millions of people, just zone in on the announcement of the king's birth. Don't go to Beverly Hills to the most sophisticated people of society. Don't, you know, go down the phone book and look for the name Kardashian. That's where you'll find the prince of all. So it's not hanging on the power of celebrity, you know, like we would just expect that today. Like that's the platform. God, like God needs a platform to highlight his glory. He doesn't need that at all. He says, he's going to be, go look for a, go look for a barn and go find a feeding trough and then find a baby that's wrapped up in the commonest, most poorest attire. And that's God. That's where you're going to find God. See, the problem of Christmas is way more shocking than just believing if there is a God or not. And you might be here today and you're struggling with that. I don't know if I believe in God or not. I mean, I understand your struggle. I've I've been there. I know what you're going through. Does God exist? Is he real? But the problem of Christmas is even 
much, much more difficult than if God exists. It's, does the God who exists, did he enter his own creation through the womb of a Jewish teenage girl? Do I believe that? Do I believe that he was born in a feeding trough? Laid there among the common things, among the smelly things. It's uncomfortable when you think about it. Max Lucado writes about it like this. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. And then the next things he writes is just a little, it's a little shocking. So he says, God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. Man, that's it's uncomfortable to think about. Uncomfortable to think of, of God drawing near like that. Of God coming that close, entering into that kind of mess of our lives. Lucato says later on this piece, we, we don't like that. We want to brush away the manure and the smell and we want to get it back to shiny and nice and pageantry. We want to get there. But he says, unless we let Jesus get that close into the mess, we'll never be changed. And I totally agree with that. We've got to see the story just as it lays out in Scripture. The angel says, that's where he is. God's in Bethlehem. In a trough, and that's where you're going to find them. Uh, and then, look at verse 14. I'm sorry, look at verse 13. Suddenly, as if it wasn't scary enough, this angel is joined by a multitude of angels. So, suddenly, there was with the angel, not just one, not just two, not just three, but a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So, now we've got not just one frightening creature in front of us. We've got a host, which means army. We've got an army of heavenly creatures, all beaming with God's glory, all shining down. And at the very mention of God drawing near to us in that kind of grace and in that kind of love and in that kind of mercy, they just start singing. They just start praising, which is what they do anyway, but they just start praising and they get a a firsthand account of what happens in heaven all the time. And they say, glory to God in the highest. In other words, our highest emotions reserved for one thing, one place and one person, and that's God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that's why these two, uh, these two events, we've been talking about peace. Only Christ can bring peace on earth. You can't pop it in your mouth and you can't shoot it up and you can't watch it and you can't seek it out and find it in Dark places, it only comes from knowing God and being at peace with God. So this army, ironically, is the only army that's ever announced peace on earth. (laughs) We want peace on earth. We're just looking for the army that can create it and fight through it and make it happen. But there's a heavenly host that announces it, that it comes only through Jesus. And the peace that he brings, first and foremost, isn't a national peace, but it's a peace with God. 
Paul the Apostle says this is why Jesus came and died and rose again, that through faith we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He offers himself to you. If you've, if you've never by faith trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure, he offers his, himself to you. He puts his nail-scarred hands out in front of you, and he says, I offer you peace with God. That's why I came. That's why I was born in this city. Unto you and for you I've come to offer a peace like no other. So these shepherds, man, they, they see the heavenly host, and they are just singing all around them. And then they have to make a decision. It says in verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, they somehow arrive at this conclusion, uh, this is probably the funniest part in the whole story, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. <laughs> so they, they think this is a good idea. Somebody says, all of heaven has just announced uh, the birth of the king of kings. Probably should go check this out. And they do. They go to Bethlehem. And it says, they made haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they see what the angels said that they would saw. So they are freaking out. This is true. They didn't doubt the presence of the angels or what they said. They go. They communicate what had been told them. And it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And so you see both the faith of the shepherds going in haste. You see others wondering and you see Mary treasuring. So note that just because something is obvious and just because something is right in your face with clarity doesn't mean that God eliminates, you know, our human activity and responsibility. Some of you watched the Iron Bowl, you know, the, that game after the Thanksgiving break. Anybody watch the Alabama-Auburn game? Somebody did. Well, uh, if you were watching it, um, this young man, Chris Davis, he, he runs a 108-yard touchdown run back against Alabama. And it was just amazing. I, I, was, I was not an Auburn fan. I, no, 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 nothing really invested in this game. But when I saw this run, it was amazing. It was glorious. It was, it was crazy. And this guy just runs 108 yards. The place erupts like this historic game, crazy ending to this game. And everybody's just loving what just happened, you know. And so, you know, the interviewer, the sportscast interviewer, finally gets an audience with Chris Davis. Everybody's going crazy. Chris can hardly hear what everybody's saying around him. He can hardly hear this, this interview uh, coming at him. And um, the guy asks him, it's just so funny. He asks him, he says, okay, like this is his moment. Like I just think this guy's moment here, uh, national television. What's he going to ask Chris Davis? Like, okay, the ball was in the air coming towards you. What was in your mind? And he says, I was like, what's he going to say? He said, catch it and run. So and I, was, I so appreciate that he didn't get all philosophical. And I was, I was really just thinking about my team. And I was really thinking about my mom. And I was really thinking about. No, he's just like, I got one job description. I got one thing I know I got to do. 
that ball is coming at me. I got to catch that thing and I got to run. And that's what he said, catch it and run. And he did, and he was successful and he had a lot of help along the way. But he had to decide, he had to make a decision, even though something was very clear and something was very obvious coming at him, an opportunity and an invitation was coming straight at him. He still had to exercise his responsibility. And the same is true of these shepherds. There's an invitation. There's this open invitation. Go into the city of Bethlehem. It's almost, almost a command. Uh, you will find the baby wrapped up this way when you go to Bethlehem. But they still have to make a decision. And they do. Let us go now. Let's not put it off. Some of you might be putting off a relationship with Christ. Some of you might be putting off a hard conversation. That's not faithful. Faithfulness is let us go right now. Let's do what God's clearly and obviously communicated to us. Let's do in obedience what God has told us to do right now. Let's exercise faith. It takes faith to do those kinds of things, but the shepherds do. God honors it. Mary does when she's treasuring up all these things in her heart. She has to exercise faith, and angels communicated to her too. She's trying to put all this stuff together, and she's got to mold this stuff over. And that's literally what she does. So there's a lot of decisions being, being made here. And then closing is verse 20, just one verse here. The shepherds returned. And, and that's just a pretty, pretty odd thing to see here. The shepherds returned. I mean, you would think that they were hand-picked, they were hand-selected, for this glorious moment of seeing the anointed deliver the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, create, the, the Creator entering into His own creation through Jesus, and and now they're just going to go back and be shepherds. They're just going back to the fields. Well, they do. They have to go back into their vocation. They have to go back to their location. And God doesn't change either one through the announcement of Jesus for these shepherds. They have to go back to their jobs, back to the mundane aspects, back to the tempting aspects, back to the challenging aspects. They're going to slip away into obscurity. They get, you know, they're right in front of us right here, but then they go back into obscurity and they're unknown shepherds once again. But they are not just shepherds anymore. Notice what they are. They returned glorifying. They returned praising. They went back into life aware of all they had heard and seen. They went back, but they went back changed. And I would just like to invite all of us today to consider in what way does God want to send you back, back into the holiday joy, back into the holiday cheer, and back into the holiday challenges of family members no longer with you, that you wish were around, that the Christmas season is just a painful reminder of that person that's no longer around in your life, or family members that you wish weren't around. If you're honest, or just any number of challenges and tempta- temptations that the season can can conjure up. It's a glorious time. It's a fun time. It's a celebratory time. It's also a challenging time. And I know I'm, I'm living that. I'm experiencing a, a unique challenge in the holidays. And I'm, I'm needing uh, grace for this. I'm needing faith. I'm needing prayer. I've invited people to pray. Encourage people to pray for me. Hold me accountable and help me. 
<clears throat> it's all of us. We're all in that place in some way, shape, or form. But just like the shepherds, we don't have to return into anything after today. Uh, you know, God's glory is interrupting that right now, and he is speaking truth to you, and it's obvious, and it's clear, and it's, it's gracious, and it's loving, and he's here for you unto all of us right now in this moment. Jesus is offering his grace, and he's offering his help to you, but we've got to make a decision, don't we? We've got to make a decision. Am I going to trust? Am I going to lean into this kind of love? Am I going to lean into this grace? Am I going to take Jesus, maybe for the first time for you, by his nail-scarred hands and say yes to a relationship with him by faith? I'm going to repent of trying to find life and joy every other place. I'm going to find it in Christ alone. And if that's you today, I would just like to talk to you after the service. I'd like to invite you to just come and have a bold conversation just like the shepherds. Make haste and I'd love to talk to you talk to you about how to begin a relationship with God by faith, how I started a relationship with God, how others have. Maybe you want to talk about baptism as well. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.